Man, growing up on the dirt road out in Swanee, there was all kinds of wild and crazy things that we encountered. I brought a guy home from school with me one time when we were in middle school. And uh, it was my birthday. It was actually a couple of us. And I was going to take him down to the creek and go camping. And he got started thinking about bears and and all the other little critters that run around in the woods and got scared. And we had to bring him back to the house. And it took us a couple of hours before we convinced him to go back down into the woods. But the road that we lived on was not lighted. It was a dirt road, like I said. And we were miles away from the nearest town. And we would walk that road and ride our bicycles on it all the time, even into the late hours of the night. And as long as someone was with you, it wasn't bad. But when you were walking that road by yourself in the pitch black, knowing what critters live in your area, and you can't see where you put your feet, it was a difficult task to do without anxiety. So I went and bought myself a flashlight. And that little bitty flashlight gave me enough comfort and security to do what I had to do to get from point A to point B when I was a kid. The thing about the flashlight, though, is that in the midst of all that darkness, it didn't illuminate the entire world, but it illuminated the path that I walked so that I knew that I could get to where I needed to go safely. Today's passage of Scripture comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17, and this is where Jesus begins his ministry. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Father God, we come before you today and ask you to be with me during this time of worship. Father God, we ask that you send your spirit to to remove from me the desire to speak my own, but fill me with your spirit that every word that I would speak would be pleasing to you and would be beneficial for all of us gathered here today. Father God, help us to have a, a wonderful time of worship as we lift up praise to you and declare your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now remember last week I kind of inadvertently touched on the Pentecostal church for a, for a moment and, and their beginning. And what I stated was, that the Pentecostal church actually got their start in the Methodist church. And a lot of people don't realize that, and they don't understand the importance of it. What had happened in the lives of two people we're going to have here are William J. Seymour and one Charles Fox Parham. William Seymour is my favorite one to talk about. William Seymour was a black man. His parents were slaves near the end of the Civil War. His father actually died during the Civil War. And he grew up in Louisiana at a time that the black population were still treated extremely poor. He grew up in the Catholic Church and was baptized in the Catholic Church. But when he left the South to go to the North to seek a better life for himself, he began hearing about the teachings of this thing called Pentecostalism. Seymour himself attended the Methodist Church 
in his move to the north. It was called the Simpson Chapel Methodist Episcopal Church. I don't know if anybody's ever heard the Methodist Church go by that name, but that's one of our original names when the church was actually formed. Now, people get confused sometimes when they hear the word Episcopal, so they think that we're automatically connected or, or came from the Episcopalian Church, and that's not what this is uh, referring to. The Methodist Church came from the Church of England. But the Episcopal that they're referring to here is the governance of the church body, that it comes under the governance of a of the uh, staff of bishops. That's where the Episcopal portion of the Methodist comes from. And he attended this church, and he kept having these desires to experience God in a new and different way, in a way that they refer to in the Pentecostal church as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He believed in the teaching. He wanted to experience the teaching, but, but he couldn't quite make it happen but he sought after it day and night with his whole heart. And in his life, he never gave up on that belief. And there came a day in April of 1906 after he had moved to Los Angeles that he experienced firsthand what it was that he had heard so much about. He experienced what they refer to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he began to speak in tongues. And now, as Methodists, we recognize that, that speaking in tongues is a real gift. It is a scriptural gift, but we do understand it to be something of a more immature spiritual state. That we have, as a people, have outgrown the need for that. But there may still be a need in certain people's lives to experience God in that fashion. But that's what Mr. Seymour experienced. But something amazing happened at the time that he did that. He began preaching in someone's house. It's called Abby's house. And church began at 12 noon on any given day, Monday through Sunday. And that church service continued from noon till midnight. And they had so many people gathered in that house one time that the porch couldn't support the weight of the people, that the porch fell in. And then they moved from that house to another structure, which was another Methodist church. And this is where Methodism keeps getting connected with the Pentecostal movement. They went to then was the, the AME was the African Methodist Episcopalian Church. And the Spirit of God fell. Not just upon Mr. Seymour, but upon people in that entire community. They were having church services of people wanting to come in and sing and praise and worship. Groups as large as 1,500 at a time. It's an amazing thing that, that happens in us when we experience the Spirit of God. And I ask myself many times, why is it that we as a people don't experience things like that in our time, in our day? Because apparently it's real and it made a big impact on people. And it affected our history, not only as a church, but as a country. And then I think about what this passage of Scripture has to say pertaining to Jesus and the beginning of his ministry. Now, he heard that when John was arrested, that, that he himself moved into Galilee, which was the area that John was preaching in. So in my mind, Jesus was kind of respected John's 
ministry, that he stayed away from that area until John had been taken away, until his time was done. And then when that time was done, Jesus came in to take over where John left off. And he didn't go to Jerusalem, and he didn't go to Judea, where all the Jews had gathered. Scripture tells us plainly here that where Jesus went was the Galilee of the Gentiles. You see, Jesus didn't just come into the world to save the Jewish people. He came into the world that the entire population of God's community would know Christ and be saved. That on the day that they closed their eyes on this world, that they would return to God in eternity. But he came more than to just give us the promise of eternal life. He came to give the promise of life itself. Jesus himself said that he came to fulfill the prophecy that light was to go into darkness. And that's what Galilee was considered, not because it was a poor area, because Galilee was not. Galilee was a very fertile area during those times. Their population was estimated today to be around 3 million people. That is a lot of people for that small little area. Galilee is probably 35 miles wide, probably 60 miles deep. And within that area, 204 plus communities of different people lived and worked and raised their families and prospered. But there was something still absent, something still missing from their lives. And God knew what that thing was. That even though they had great prosperity, they were still living in darkness. And it takes Christ coming into Galilee to bring to them that light. And what that light is, is the reality of knowing that, that God is not just an idea that some group of people came together and decided to, to place in our society, but that God is a God of creation, that, that He spoke everything that we know into existence, that, that God is concerned about the condition of humanity in our individual lives, that He interacts in every aspect of our life so that we come to know Him fully and truly. And see, when Jesus got into Galilee, He didn't just... Walk in and announce, hey, here I am, the dark is gone. I think that that light came in, much like a candle right here, if this room was dark, would only illuminate a small area. I don't think that when he, received, when he made it to Galilee, that the light bulb, so to speak, came on for the entire population. But maybe only one person at a time. And we can see that in the texts that follow. Jesus coming into Galilee to begin his ministry. See, when he came in, he walked by the sea. And one of the first things he did is he saw two brothers, Simon and Andrew. They were casting nets into the sea because they were fishers. Simon is the one who we later know as Peter. And he said simple words to them. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And it didn't end there. He walked a little further on down, and he saw two more brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father fishing. And he called out to them, and immediately they left the boat and followed Jesus. Now, that's the part that, that gets me sometimes. 
is the immediate part because if you come to me and say, Tommy, come with me and follow me to do what I want to do, I'm going to stop you right there and start begin asking you questions like, well, where are we going? What are we going to do? What's it going to cost me? What do I have to leave behind? How long am I going to be gone? But they didn't ask those questions. Scripture is clear on it. He didn't go and see the first set of brothers, Simon and Andrew, say, come follow me, wait three days, and go see the other ones. Immediately from one to the other one, and they followed immediately. And it takes something powerful to move a person in that manner. And that is what I think about when I think about the Spirit of God falling upon people, the refreshing of life. When they started the Pentecostal church, they didn't start from a denomination all around. Their other connection to the to the Methodist church is that they were following a Wesleyan doctrine, the teachings of John Wesley from back in his day. And you know, when John Wesley started preaching, people experienced God in ways that they hadn't before. There was a spiritual awakening in the lives of the people that he spoke to that made them important, that, that gave them purpose and meaning in life that gave them a reason to look to something and someone more powerful than themselves. And it was more than mere knowledge. It was the experience of the Holy Spirit living within the hearts and the souls of the people. And I think what pushed the Pentecostal message and the Pentecostal movement so hard was the same thing that pushed John Wesley and all the preachers of his day. And it was the desire and the passion and the fire that burns from within to worship and to love and serve God. Now, I don't think that we as a people should have to run around screaming and hollering in order to express our passion, though sometimes it's a good thing. I think about Isabel sometimes. She's got a gift at the house waiting for her now. This past week, she, she came to me and she said, Daddy, I want to go to Amazon and see if they got a movie. And she was so excited about looking at my telephone, going through Amazon to, to find her movie that she couldn't contain herself. And when she found that movie, she couldn't keep her little finger off the add to the cart button. It just kept hitting and hitting, and I had to keep taking it off. Excitement. Pure, unadulterated excitement because of what she knows she wants. Now, she don't know is that the package came today and they're at the house waiting for her. I didn't want to tell her this morning that they came because I didn't want her excitement to, to interrupt service because she'd be running through here screaming, did you know that, that I got my movie today? Did you know that Strawberry Shortcake came today? But that is the same excitement that we as a people need to express about God and what He has done for us. It should be nothing for us to come up and say, let me tell you what God done for me today. I didn't have money. I was flat broke, and I went into the store and with the last $2 I had, and the man in front of me who was playing the lottery won $500, and he turned around not knowing me and said, you know what, God wants me to bless you. So here's $100 without knowing provided for a family for a week. That is something to, to, to scream about. That's something to yell about. God worked a miracle in my life at that time. And it doesn't have to be about money. It doesn't have to be about uh, our um, physical possessions. But the, the spirit that God puts in us that brings us peace during times of turmoil. And when I say turmoil, I don't mean that something bad happened, but, but maybe I'm excited about something good happening and I can't wait for it. 
And I know that it's still a month or two down the road, but, but every day I wake up and I think about what's going to happen, that I can't contain myself, that, that I become anxious. But, but the Spirit of God empowers me to control myself in that time so that I don't miss out on the blessings of today so that I can love the people that are with me today, and so that I can perform the task that he has for me today. That is something to yell about. God sent his spirit into this world that we live, that we shout hallelujah, that we say amen, that we say praise God for all that he's done. And even when he doesn't do the way that we want to, we can shout and scream the praises of God because we know as a people that God works in all things for the good of those who love Him. That This difficulty that I'm experiencing right now is only temporary. It's going somewhere good. And in that storm, we learn to praise and worship God. It's when the Holy Spirit falls upon his people. And again, I don't know that it's something that I can make happen. But I know that the people in the past prayed for the Spirit of God to come upon them, prayed for a fresh awakening, prayed for revitalization. And I think that that's what we as a people need to be doing. Not that God would revitalize our community in the form and fashion that we think, or that God should revitalize our church in the form or fashion that we think, but that God would revitalize revitalize us as a people that he would recondition our hearts refocus our minds on all that he has done and all that he is going to do that we worship god who god is for his love that is unending for his mercy that never ceases and for his grace that he gave to this people through his son jesus christ That we learn his words. That we take the words that are written in our Holy Bible and cherish them. Men and women and children alike. And as we read them, find ourselves in those stories and let God write his words on the pages of our hearts. You know, after Jesus called the first few disciples into ministry, he didn't immediately go out and start performing miracles. He didn't. The first things he did was to preach and teach. Because he knew that what the people needed was a connection with God through the learning of God's words. And not just an understanding or a knowledge of the laws, but so that we can experience God's grace and, and understand what it is that, that He has done for us and how we impact the people around us. And after 
he began preaching and teaching. Then he began performing the miracles. He said to heal the sick and those who were afflicted with diseases. That he healed people that were possessed by demons or, or having epilepsy or other afflicted paralysis, and he cured them. And I wonder sometimes about the people that Jesus touched in those days, about the, the physical healings and why we don't see that so much today. I don't know that it's a lack of faith as much as I think that what Jesus did in the days was a physical manifestation of what he does for us spiritually. And what I mean is this. A person who is lost, as we in church lingo say, who is absent of Christ in their life, live a life that they don't even understand is missing something. But there comes a time in that individual life when, when whatever it was they've been filling themselves with isn't enough, and then there's just a big empty hole inside them, and they want to try and fill it with everything that they can. And it almost creates a sick feeling for the person because they're longing to be whole, and, and yet they're finding themselves lacking. But when they ask and truly ask for Jesus to come into their lives, there is a wholeness that they experience because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And we think about the people who are paralyzed physically and and can't walk it and jesus spoke words to them similar to pick up your mat and leave pick up your mat and walk it and they do that they would just stand up all of a sudden and walk off being healed and i think sometimes that when we look at life circumstances that we look into to our current circumstances or we may even look into our future and think that it's too difficult a task for us to handle or that it's too dark there's not enough light illuminating the entire path that that maybe that would cause us to paralyze ourselves emotionally to the point that maybe we can't seem to get up out of bed that morning or we can't perform the task but god comes in and he says to that person through the spirit of god you can do it pull yourself up you're not alone when you were on that beach walking and you look back and there was one set of footprints, it's because you weren't alone. It's because I was carrying you that entire distance. And I think that is something to shout about. So I want to challenge you this week to do this. When God does something in your life, don't just accept it and move forward. Feel the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as He works inside of you to 
to let you know that, that it's okay to say, thank you, God, for what you've done. Let the Holy Spirit push through the, the doubt and the fear of, of what you think life is going to turn out like and let God be God and work His miracles and shout out to God, thank you, God, for what you've done and for what you are doing. And when you find yourselves in the midst of a storm, let the Holy Spirit empower you not to say, I'm defeated, but to say, this storm is not going to last forever. That is only a temporary thing. And I know that my God is doing something great and mighty for me and my community. Let me praise God now for the blessing that I have not even received. Let us remember this week to lift our voice to heaven for our God reigns. Let us pray. Father God, we come before you today as we close our service. Father, I just ask that you be with each and every one of us this week as we go out into the world to perform your task. Let us know by the presence of your Spirit, Father God, that we are not alone now or ever, but that you are always with us, walking with us, talking with us, and empowering us to perform your will. Help us, Father God, to experience your healing physically, emotionally, or spiritually that we become a whole people in your image and help us to experience your spirit, Father God, in all circumstances that, that would cause us to, to yell out to you praise and glory for who you are and for what you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love them so much. I know she will love you because of the point. Amen. Amen.